What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those to the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. So, Kyle, we've uh, we finally reached the point. Another six months of no football. It's an unfortunate time, but you know, before we do transition into the offseason, we always cap it off with the granddaddy of them all, Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57 lived up to expectations as far as I see it. It was a great game back and forth, but the Kansas City Chiefs raised the Lombardi Trophy once again, and they are Super Bowl champions. Uh, I believe this is their first Super Bowl championship since Super Bowl 54 when they defeated the San Francisco, the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, we got a lot to get to, you guys. Obviously, a lot of it is going to be focused on the Super Bowl. I might as well just say it now. Just gear up for a full Super Bowl episode. So we will cover every aspect that we possibly can throughout this episode. Kev, i got a couple items on the agenda to get to. I'll take the floor from here if you don't mind. Yes, sir. So obviously, first things first, we will do just a straight game analysis. The Chiefs win by the score of 38-35 to in Super Bowl 57. Patrick Mahomes is your Super Bowl 57 MVP. And as far as I'm concerned, it is a well-deserved MVP. So we'll start off with that. But this game does come with a caveat. And it comes down to a controversial holding call on James Bradbury late in the fourth quarter that essentially dictated the outcome of the game. We'll talk about that play, whether or not that we thought it was a holding call. And then after that, we'll dive into just Patrick Mahomes. It's his second Super Bowl in three attempts. Like I said, this is his first Super Bowl since winning Super Bowl 54. So now he's got two next to his name. Uh, we'll just talk about the legacy that he holds and his stature as one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen in this generation and the start that he's had, which has been utterly phenomenal. And then after that, we'll kick it to the Eagles. We got two segments focusing on the Eagles. Obviously, the biggest one here is the defense. The Eagles defense fell apart, gave up 38 points to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Eagles had one of the most vaunted defenses in the NFL this season. They almost set the sack record in the regular season by getting 70 total sacks as a team. Didn't register a sack against Patrick Mahomes in this game. And then after that, the Eagles got a pretty solid rebuild to address this offseason. They have a lot of player personnel that are potential free agents and the coaching changes that are going to take place within the Eagles hierarchy is going to be significant. So, it's an unfortunate loss for the Eagles since they lost the Super Bowl, but there's going to be some looming changes that are going to take place over the next couple of months that could have a significant impact for them going into next season. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive straight into the game. Super Bowl 57. This is what we're here. This is what we're here to talk about. And let's get to it. So your Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl 57 champs. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles by the score of 38 to 35. It was a compelling game. It was a back and forth game. Uh, the Eagles had a pretty good start in this game. They were able to establish some dominance early on, but I'll tell you right now, the Chiefs were able to respond in kind, and they were able to keep this game relatively close, uh, despite the Eagles having a really good start in the first half. The Chiefs were down 10 points going into the second half, but it did not stop them from having a really big second-half rally where Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they did not punt in the second half. They were that effective, and the Eagles' defense had no answer for them whatsoever and then obviously we had the controversial holding call on the final drive for the Chiefs offense that led to the game winning field goal by Harrison Butker and I mean the last play of the game 
Hail Mary attempt by Jalen Hurts. Kept, what it was it? About 25, 35 yards short of where it was supposed to be. I don't even think he got it to the 20 yard line on the other side of the field. And that was despite the fact throwing the ball from what his 45, 40 his yard 40, line. I think so. It's a pretty unfortunate Hail Mary pass. It was kind of a weak one. If you're just looking at it from a casual perspective, but nonetheless, the chiefs are super bowl 57 champs. So Kev, let's just dive straight into this. So Kev, to kick this one to you, what are your thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs winning Super Bowl 57 in the manner that they did? I mean, you know, obviously, kudos to the Chiefs. Let's just start off with that. You know, obviously, the better team won today in terms of who was able to execute more when it mattered the most. Um, you know, obviously, going for the Eagles with, you know, my girlfriend and her family and, you know, celebrating and blah, 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 blah. So, uh, you know, shout out to Kansas City for pulling out the W. That's the most important piece. Let's not forget to acknowledge that. Um, and obviously, big kudos to Patrick Mahomes. Played on one foot. Looked like he was going to be severely limited going into the second half with what looked to be a, a roll-up to kind of like go into halftime where he was kind of limping into the locker room. And he comes out, and I would assume, again, assume, I'm not going to say I saw or that I know, you would make an assumption that he had, had to have taken some pain medication because there were multiple instances where he was scrambling for his life. And it looked like he didn't have an issue. Did he stand up wincing? Absolutely. But he made plays when he needed to with his feet, and I'll get into that in a couple minutes. So first and foremost, Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL. There's no questions. There's no ifs. There's no buts about it. This solidifies him 100% as one of the greatest quarterbacks this generation has ever seen, if not the greatest quarterback um, of this entire generation. It's not even close. Um, he catapults himself into one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, having two Super Bowl titles, two Super Bowl MVPs within his first five or six years of his career. Um, again, three Super Bowl appearances, two wins out of three. Can't really say much more. Two MVPs. He kind of capped off this season with this big game. But in terms of the game as a whole, it was entertaining. I'm just happy it wasn't a boring game. I mean, granted, there was absolutely no defense on either side, even though Jalen Hurts had, even though Jalen Hurts was sacked two times and there was a defensive touchdown by the Chiefs. It was just, it was shot for shot for shot for shot, kick for kick. And it was just, it was entertaining again to watch. There was nothing boring about this game. There were some questionable play calls on the Philadelphia side. You can kind of make the argument that some of them were kind of just awkwardly placed and, you know, wrong time or bad time, wrong situation or bad place, bad time, however you want to break it down. But, you know, obviously, like Kyle said, that, that, that holding call was questionable at best. Um, there was another situation to where there was, and Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a situation where, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a stoppage of play on the Dallas Goddard catch to where the Eagles rushed the ball to the line of scrimmage. There was a penalty flag thrown to where they stopped the play and said the defense has a right because of a substitution to, right? So they, they, they stopped play. And then Kansas City was able to challenge, which thankfully Philadelphia won, which I don't think they should have because I don't think that was a catch by Goddard because it looked like he lost possession. There were just some instances it really looked like the refs were trying too hard to have Kansas City be put in a position to win. It was very, very, very odd. There were just It was situational things like that penalty, the holding penalty. It, I really can't stick my finger on it. I'm not trying to sit here and say that the league is fixed or that this was scripted, as people love to say, because it's trending right now. Um, but overall, like I said, in my personal belief with what I saw, it looked like there were some questionable calls. Um, 
but it's it's neither here nor there. We talked about it on the Fumble Ruski podcast a few weeks ago. You cannot let a game fall or come down to the end of a penalty. You cannot let the referees decide that. And it's like Kyle also alluded to that we'll talk about a little bit more in detail. Philadelphia's top defense, top pass rush. De- where where were you guys? Like we talk about dreams and nightmares. This was a nightmare. This is horrible. Like I just I felt like Kansas City's offensive line just dominated the line of scrimmage to the utmost of its capabilities. Like Hassan Reddick, uh, Javon Hargrave, um, obviously Jordan Davis, uh, Brandon Graham. All they they were just a no show. They could not get Patrick Mahomes. They couldn't touch him. And again, he was on one leg. Like, if he was fully healthy, I feel like Philly gets blown out in this game. If I'm being completely honest with you, I feel like this is a whole different narrative if Patrick Mahomes has no injury limiting him. Because they weren't able to stop him. They could, I mean, he was 21 to 27. He didn't have the most yards in the air, but he had three touchdowns. He had no turnovers. He had a pass rating of 132. Like, this is what you need from your superstar quarterback. And he was on one leg. So shout out to Kansas City's offensive line. Shout out to Patrick Mahomes playing injured and playing through it and dominating at that. And I think that the offenses of both teams were incredible. Jalen Hurts did everything he needed to do outside of that uh, Hail Mary that was a failed attempt. And then, of course, that strip sack fumble that led to the defensive score. But, I mean, again, this was an entertaining game. Both teams were able to pull out all the stops. Every single thing that you can ask for in terms of entertainment. Um, Going down to the wire. I thought that this was one of the better Super Bowls that we've had in quite some time. And, uh, you know, overall, again, you know, Kansas City hoists up the trophy. And, again, shout out to the Chiefs. They won. A lot of people doubted them. Most people picked Philly to win, Kyle and I included. And Kansas City comes out on top. So, again, big game, great game, entertaining to watch. It's just unfortunate for the Philly fans. It, it, it just it ends the way that it did. I mean, to me, Kev, this was a phenomenal game. And obviously with the Chiefs coming out on top, as far as I see it, they're on their path to becoming the next NFL dynasty. I don't believe that they're at that point yet. In my mind, they still have to win one more to claim that but look when you win two super bowls within what a four to five year span yeah you're definitely on that path and when you have patrick mahomes a guy like that leading the way on the offense and what's going to be a hall of fame head coach and andy reed i'm pretty much guaranteeing more than likely they're going to be an nfl dynasty at some point just because i can't really say that these guys are are going to be in a situation where they're not going to make another Super Bowl. Like these guys are just too good. And to me this was a great game that really displayed some resilience from the Chiefs because Kev, I'm not going to be I'm going to be honest with you. It did not look good for the Chiefs, especially when Pat got rolled up again uh, towards the end of the first half and he looked like he was struggling pretty significantly with that ankle injury, but he comes back in the second half and as far as I see, Kev, that Chiefs offense just completely dominated the Eagles in the second half. Kevin, the Chiefs didn't punt in the second half. They were able to lead drive after drive after drive, and it resulted in touchdowns. And whenever they got into the red zone, you know, they capped it off with touchdowns. And Kev, just to kind of focus on some of those touchdowns, I think it was the two touchdowns where they were within the five-yard line. I think the first one was when they went up 28-27, and then it was 35-27, uh, where... Man, the Chiefs would bring somebody in motion. It would be a wide receiver. I forget who caught the uh, the two touchdowns. But no, no matter who it was, bring the guys in motion. And, man, the Eagles' corners just 
bit down so hard on those guys running, thinking that they were going to run across the middle, but when they whip it back out to the flat, nobody on the equal in the Eagles secondary was able to cover the flat, and those were just walking touchdowns for the Chiefs. But to me, you know, this game is going to come down to the last couple minutes of the game. The Eagles, they're able to march down the field, tie the game at 35 apiece, and then the Chiefs, big-time plays by Patrick Mahomes, set the Chiefs up inside the red zone, and it comes down to a third and eight, third and seven, and James Bradbury gets called on that holding call. We'll have a lot more to say about that later on. It was definitely a controversial call as far as I see it, but you know when you get that call favoring the Chiefs there, it pretty much sets up the game-winning field goal for Harrison Bucker and the Chiefs to win their second Super Bowl in a couple years. To me, the Chiefs were just able to weather the storm early on because, let's face it, the Eagles got off to a really hot start. And, you know, when it comes to the Eagles, they're one of the best second quarter teams in the NFL, and they definitely showed it. You know, going up, I believe, 24 to 14. I may have the score wrong there, but they were up by 10 going into halftime. And the Chiefs never got flustered. They never got into a situation where penalties were holding them back. They never turned the ball over in this game. And even despite the fact that the Chiefs got absolutely dominated in the time of possession, the Eagles possessed the ball for 35 minutes out of this game. The Chiefs only had it for 24 minutes. And the fact that the Chiefs were in it the entire time is really a testament to the level of coaching that Andy Reid is capable of displaying and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes was phenomenal in this game. Granted, statistically, this was not his most impressive performance. I mean, Kev already laid it out there. He didn't throw for more than 200 yards, but had three touchdowns, had some huge runs on the ground despite being limited with that high ankle sprain, re-aggravating it in the second half, in the second quarter, and didn't stop. And overall, you know, Pat was the guy that was really able to put the Chiefs into the red zone by scrambling on, you know, one and a half legs, considering what he had with the ankle injury, and it gave the Chiefs a chance. And that's all that they needed. And, you know, looking back at this game, you know, like Kev said, this was a back-and-forth game. It was a phenomenal game to watch. The ending, ending's mired in a little bit of controversy, depending on how you look at it. But overall, it was a fun game. It was an entertaining game. It definitely lived up to expectations. And in my mind, Despite whatever I may think about the holding call, which we'll get to in a little bit, I think the Chiefs deserved the Super Bowl win. They bested one of the best defenses that we've seen in recent history. Pat wasn't sacked in this game, which is absolutely critical going up against a pass rush like the Eagles have at their disposal. And look, you know, the one turnover in the game went against the Eagles and the Chiefs were able to cash in on it instantly by returning it for a touchdown on the same play. So... There's a lot of different elements that you could take away from this game, but the one that I will take away with the most is that Patrick Holmes is that dude. Same thing could be said about Andy Reid. Defense made some timely plays here and there, but overall, you know, the Chiefs are going to be a tough out from here on out. And like I said, they're definitely on a path to be the next NFL dynasty. Man, it just again, it's it's frustrating to know that it's it's Again, football season's over, but you know we're gonna move on to the next topic, which I'm I'm kicking it right to Kyle because I know he's got something to say, and that and that's a hundred percent got to be the conversation about this holding call. We've mentioned it several times thus far in the episode, but 
when you talk about the significance of a call that is made in the biggest game of the year and arguably the biggest sporting event in North American sports, you can't have it come down to a call like that. And that is the holding call on James Bradbury in the fourth quarter, which led to the Chiefs going up and hitting that game-winning field goal. So, Kyle, to put this one in your ballpark, go off, King. Man, what are your thoughts on that horrendous holding call on James Bradbury? I mean, Kevin, you said it for yourself. It was a horrendous holding call. Now, people are going to say, well, James Bradbury said after the game that it was a holding call, that he said that he tugged on Juju's jersey and that he was trying to get away with it. Honestly, I don't want to hear it. In that moment of the game, let them play. Because as far as I'm concerned, that is the pure definition of a ticky-tack foul call. And... I imagine a lot of Philly fans are looking at that referee crew thinking that this game was fixed based on that holding call. And to a certain extent, I can sympathize with them. I'm not going to say that it was fixed. But to me, to have that type of call in that moment of the game that essentially decides the outcome of the Super Bowl, it's atrocious. Now, if it was a blatant holding call, where you had no choice but to throw the flag, I would be fully understanding, and I would be sympathetic towards the ref in that case. That is not the case here. This is a case, as far as I see it, you let that play roll out without any sort of holding call whatsoever. I know Mike Pereira was saying, well, that's technically a holding call based on the letter of the law. No, that is a game where you just let that is a play where you just let that one be dictated by the outcome. It was an incomplete pass as far as I see it. And you know, looking at the actual time frame when the play took place, what there's like a minute 50, minute 45 left in the game. It's a third down. It's a must-have play for both teams because if the Eagles stop them, you're talking about fourth and eight. You're talking about a 40-yard field goal. Harrison Butker had missed a similar type of field goal earlier in the game. He doinked it off the left upright. Now, I'm probably assuming, it's a safe assumption, that more than likely, let's say he hits it, hypothetically. Okay, so the Chiefs go up 38-35 to with a minute 35, minute 40 left. In my mind, I'm thinking that Jalen Hurts and that Eagles offense has a very good chance to at least get into position for a game-time field goal, if not a go-ahead touchdown. Because as far as I see it, that Chiefs defense couldn't stop a parked car because the Eagles were just running up and down the field at will throughout most of the game. And I'd bet pretty heavily that the Eagles would be able to do something to get a drive started and then potentially score on that drive to potentially even send the game into overtime. That didn't happen. Refs throw the flag on James Bradbury and then all the Chiefs have to do is just milk the clock for Harrison Bucker to hit the game-winning field goal, which he did with about 10 seconds left. Also, just one quick point of mention. Jarek McKinnon was very smart to slide on the one-yard line because we have seen plays in the past. I believe it was either Brandon Jacobs or Ahmad Bradshaw where he was trying to stop himself. Where he was trying to stop himself at the one-yard line against the Patriots in Super Bowl forty-six. And his momentum carried himself into the end zone, which gave the Patriots the ball back with a little bit of time left. Now, granted, the Giants still won that game, but situa- 
but situational awareness, he unfortunately failed in that regard. Jared McKinnon did not, and he slid correctly at the one-yard line, which obviously set up the Harrison Butker field goal. You know, when I look back at this this uh, referee crew, Carl Sheffers, the entire referee crew, I think that they let a bad play essentially dictate the outcome. Or it's a bad call as far as I see it. That That's a play where you let this one roll out, you live with the results, and, you know, I think if I'm just looking at this from a casual fan perspective, I think that everybody conclude, can conclude with the same thing and thinking that was a horrendous holding call that ended the game, essentially. And to me, when I look back at this game, obviously the Chiefs are worthy of being Super Bowl 57 champs. I don't want to miss that point entirely. I don't want that loss in translation. To me, this game will be forever marred by that holding call because that is a play where you just let it roll. Live with the results, and you just roll with it. But to me, you don't make that call in that moment of the game with that type of ticky-tack call. So, you know, I look at that referee crew. You know, obviously, they're going to be questioned about it probably to the nth degree, as they should. But it was a bad call in my mind. Now, granted, I did pick the Eagles to win the Super Bowl, but I'm not even really counting that in into factor here. I'm just looking at this as I was watching the game. You don't call that. You let it roll. And unfortunately, they didn't do that. And it directly influenced the outcome of the game as far as I see it. And that was despite the fact that both the Eagles defense and the Chiefs defense couldn't stop a running nose the entire game. But in my mind, I think the Eagles could have done something to either tie the game or potentially win the game had they gotten an opportunity to. And... Unfortunately for them, they didn't do that. You know, it's one of those things, you know, you could leave it in the hands of the refs and you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it works your way, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it didn't work out for the Eagles. But to me, this was a play that there should have been no flag thrown whatsoever. It should have been fourth down, not a first down for the Chiefs. And then who knows after that. But I, I in my mind, I think the Eagles got gypped there. And I'm a little bit sympathetic towards the Eagles fans displaying some displeasure towards the refs. Uh, if that's what they're taking away with from this game. I really don't have much to add to that. I mean, to me, as we, like, as I said in the beginning, I kind of like, I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? We talked about it on the podcast that we guest started on a few weeks ago where like, you know, Cincinnati and all that you can't let a play or a championship or whatever come down to the wire of a referee's penalty. You can't let the refs dictate a game. But I will say specifically, that was a that was a bad call. I it, you got to let people play. You, you were calling a pretty good game all game long. You were letting people play, tug, push, hold, like everything, right? In that instance, I understand that it's a holding penalty, and Kyle had to remind me of the actual terminology of the rule. With pass interference, that ball is uncatchable. That's not going to be deemed pass interference. But because it was a holding call, that is then deemed irrelevant. Regardless of the actual distance of where the ball lands or where it sits, it's not going to make a difference to a holding call. Now, I understand what the, you know what the officiating crew had seen and the replay, you see the hand kind of wrapped around the hip, but it didn't alter Juju's route. 
it didn't alter where Juju was going. It didn't slow Juju down. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like if he would have grabbed jersey, pulled back, and like you saw the stretching of the jersey, I'd have been like, oh, that's, you can't say anything. It more like it it looked more like his hand was just there, and he may have pulled, but again, that he wasn't getting that ball no matter what. It looked like Pat was throwing that ball away. And it just so happened, you know, that's the penalty that was, you know, that was what was called. Uh, but again, you know, when you, when you really look at this game from a, an Eagles standpoint, that defense was not able to do anything. They weren't able to stop any, any play, any any momentum that Kansas City got. And again, it, it is what it is at that point. I'm not going to sit here and, and cry about. Excuse me, I just had like six hiccups back to back to back and then a burp. Wow, it was horrible. Um I'm not going to sit here and let a call um, dictate how good of an offensive game the Eagles played. And I'm not an Eagles fan. Like Kyle said, you know, like it, it, it makes no difference to either of us. But you can definitely sympathize with Philly fans of how frustrated and angry they were with that, with that potential missed opportunity. But Philly had their destiny in their hands, man. They were up 10 in, that, in that, uh, that first half. Kansas City goes on to score 24 in the second half. Philly only scores 11. That speaks enough volume right there. Kansas City made adjustments. Looked like Philly wasn't able to make the right ones, and, and that's why Kansas City holds up that trophy. So, um, you know, it is what it is on that in that front. I'm not really going to harp on a on a on a what if call should have been or shouldn't have been. I just hate the result. You know, I wait. I, I hate how the game ended because Kev. I mean, this was a great game <clears throat> back and forth. It was very entertaining to watch, but the fact that essentially the outcome of the game is dictated by that holding call. I just hate the feeling that I get from this game because in my mind, this game will be forever marred by that, what I would deem as a horrendous holding call. Now, like I had stated, had there been a blatant, and I focus on the word blatant, where you know, you're talking about a pass interference or something like a legal contact or where you know Juju is completely thrown off of his route, where you have no choice but to throw it, I'm okay with that. But to me, that's not the case here. This was relatively what I would consider pretty solid coverage from James Bradbury. And, you know, even though the ball was overthrown by 15 yards, you know, it didn't seem like, you know, Juju was going to be even close to coming with a catch. If anything, I think Pat was probably throwing it away because he probably just ate the route. It's like, all right, well, look, they got good coverage on this. I was going to hit Juju on. Juju was running an in and an out, right? Like, it looked, like kind an of up, an out. it looked like an out and up. Yeah, like where he whips it back out. Yeah. But, yeah, I just don't like the fact that essentially this entire game was fell on this one holding call. And, you know, to me, I'm looking at it from a casual fan perspective. It's like... To me, that kind of ruins the whole fun of the ending of the Super Bowl. And as far as I see it, I think the Eagles got gypped out of an opportunity that more than likely I think that they had earned. Now, granted, you know, I'm using that earned uh, phrase a little bit loosely based on the fact that they had given up 35 points already. So the Eagles defense, I mean, granted, they did not really show up that well in that game. But... On that third and eight play, I thought that they played pretty solid defense to the point where they should have been awarded a fourth down 
And then you live with the results of whether or not Harrison Bucker hits a field goal to take a three-point lead for the Chiefs or if he misses it. And then what, the Eagles would get it like around the 30-yard line with about a minute 45 left had he missed it? Yeah. So, no, I, I would be completely sympathetic to the fact that the Eagles probably got gypped there a little bit based on that. It, to me, it was... Kev, it's one of those plays where... Kind of think of it like this. You remember when Devontae Smith had a catch along the sideline called back because there was like a replay where it looked like he lost control, but it was kind of like one of those plays where it was really iffy. And hell, well, I mean, you talking, were... talking, talking about that first catch, like the one earlier in that game, or are you talking about the one against the 49ers? No, the one in this game where he well, was. Well, I mean, that, that, what, that wasn't a catch. He lost it, possession out of bounds. I, I understand that, but the fact that it was close. There were you a know, lot of. That's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what I it said was in my close. analysis with the game. There were a lot of close calls in this game to where it could have went either way, and then this so, one was just like blatantly so, like. So to geez. me, so to me, the Devonte one, I thought they actually got right because I thought right. he did lose control. It, yes. It's tough. It's a tough call to make. And hell, I mean, the Chiefs and the Eagles really didn't know whether or not that it was going to be a catch because they were kind of flipping sides of the field thinking, oh, well, the Eagles think they have a first down, but then no, that it was an incomplete pass, so then we're going to have to move back like 25 yards. But, you know, that's the thing. It was a close one. To me, when it comes to this James Bradbury play, this wasn't close. No, not at all. You know, and I don't want to hear my prayer saying, well, by the letter of the law, it's a holding call. In game speed, he's is that a holding call? No, that's his job. Like for people, like no, they're, his, they're, he's co- he's covering for the refs. He's covering for his. That's his job. That's he's covering for his, them. He's okay. Well, regardless of opinions, there are people that are out there saying on social media, a hold is a hold. There's the Super Bowl. There's preseason. There's college. You can't make like there is it's it's a thing called situational awareness. You cannot let the biggest game of the year come on the shoulders of a call like that. Again, Kyle and I have stated over and over in just 25 minutes of this episode, if it were blatant, this would not be a discussion. Yes. Kyle and I are not Eagles fans. Kyle and I had no financial gain from this game. That as a sports fan was a horrendous call, period. I said it slow for everybody that, oh, you don't even know what you're talking about. Well, technically, what if it was your team? If it was my team, I'd still be just as pissed. Like, damn, we got away with one. Damn. Like, well, it worked in our favor. I'm not going to say nothing. But in the back of my mind, I know that was a bad fucking call. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not the Patriots in the game. It's not the Colts in the Super Bowl. It's the Eagles. And the Eagles are the ones that were robbed of a situation. And I Mm -hmm. think that that on the refs, you need to look at yourself and say, like Kyle made the perfect analogy in basketball. It's a ticky-tack foul. It's like a little hand check, a little tap. You can't call that. That no, ball was gotta, so far over. Play. That ball was so far over Juju. The hold made, even if he didn't hold him, he was going to miss. Yeah. So that's why it's like a, if it fell like a yard or two in front of Juju, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe, At that point, may, maybe. That one's understandable. If he lets him go, if he doesn't hook the little bit, maybe he's able to get his hands on it. You never know. But at the end of the day, it came down to a penalty, and it shouldn't have come down to a penalty. That is on Philadelphia, and that is what they're going to have to remember for this game. Th- to me, had like James really like 
ripped juju. That's what I mean, saying, like, like, pull, ripped, like pull jersey, like you pull jersey. Pull jersey and and literally change the direction of his route. Then to me, okay, then I could fully understand a holding call being the correct call there. That did not happen. Nope. Juju was not thrown off of his route. And as far as I'm concerned, James played good enough defense on that route for there not to be a holding call. And honestly, it is really just as simple as that. But, and I guarantee you this, I guarantee you pretty much all Chiefs fans around the world are probably thinking we got away with one. Or they're ignorant saying that it wasn't. Or they're just going to roll with it. it Or or they're just going to troll. They're just going to troll thinking like, you know, we got away with it. Who cares? It it you know, it is what the Super it Bowl is. is a Super Bowl. That that's what they'll think. Yeah, a win's a but, win. That's what everybody says. By one point or by fifty points, right? So let's just drop that hold call. We're gonna talk that. about it anyway later in the in this in, in the episode. It's it's gonna it's bound to come up again. But what we do need to move on to is fifteen. Kansas City's quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, has historically had the greatest start to an NFL career as a quarterback can. Multiple 5,000-yard seasons, multiple MVPs, now multiple Super Bowls and multiple Super Bowl MVPs, multiple AFC Championship appearances, multiple All-Pro. You see where I'm getting with this? It's not one and done. It's not an MVP here and then six years later an MVP here. We're talking all within a five-year starter career. Patrick Mahomes has accumulated more hardware than most Hall of Fame NFL quarterbacks get in their entire career. So, Kyle, to kick this one to you, where does Patrick Mahomes sit now that he has hoisted up two Lombardi trophies and two Super Bowl MVPs? Well, for me, as far as I see it, he has solidified himself as the best quarterback of this new generation that's coming into the fold. I'm not talking about the generation that included Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and that group. That's a different generation as far as I see it. But for the new kids on the block, there is no doubt in my mind that Patrick Mahomes is the best one out of the group, and it's not even close. Kev, two Super Bowl championships on his name, two Super Bowl MVPs, like you said, multiple 5,000-yard seasons, MVPs, what else is it there to go off of? Five AFC championships in a row? This guy is just a phenomenal quarterback. And Kev, even when you compare it to some of the quarterbacks from the previous generation that I just mentioned, think of it like this. Peyton Manning, throughout his entire Hall of Fame, illustrious career, two Super Bowls. And he played in the league for what, 15 plus years? Patrick Mahomes has only been in the league since 2017. And he already has two Super Bowls on his name within what 2023. It's phenomenal. And as far as I see it, when it comes to Pat, Pat's been able to do it multiple ways. When he won the first Super Bowl with the Chiefs, when they were going up against the 49ers, they had a loaded roster. I mean, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, granted Travis is still there, you had McCall Hardman. You had Demarcus Robinson. Just they were loaded offensively, and this one was a little bit different. You know, Travis is still the main guy, but you have new guys in the fold. You got Juju Smith-Schuster. You have Marcus Valdez Scanling. You have Sky Moore. You have Isaiah Pacheco out of the backfield. This is a new cast, somewhat, 
of different talent around him, and yet it doesn't matter. The same result follows. So to me, when I look at Pat, Pat has been able to display it multiple ways when it comes to his overall Super Bowl success. And the fact that he was able to do what he did in Super Bowl 57, being limited in the way that he was with that high ankle sprain coming into the game and then re-aggravating it and still playing effective football to the degree that he did. That's a gutsy performance, man. I know statistically he didn't have what many would consider a great performance because he only threw for 100, 185 yards. But he had, what, a single-digit number of incompletions? Had a QB rating of over 125, 130? And when the Chiefs needed a drive to get them this win against the Eagles, he was able to provide it. And he did it while using his feet and dealing with that ankle injury. It was a gutsy performance from Patrick Mahomes. And when I look at Pat, you know, Pat's on this great run here. And, you know, you compare it to some of the quarterbacks that have come before him just in the previous generation, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. He's already surpassed those guys. I mean, Drew Brees statistically is better than Pat, but I mean, the way that Pat is playing, as long as he doesn't get hurt, he doesn't really suffer any sort of significant injuries down the line, he has a very good chance to eclipse those Drew Brees stats within a relatively short period of time. Granted, it's going to take a while, but with the way that he's playing, throw for 5,000 yards consistently year in and year out, he could definitely eclipse those. I mean, as far as I see, he's a top 10 quarterback of all time. You could make a very good case that he's on his way to being a top five quarterback of all time. I'm not going to get into any sort of Brady discussion yet because as far as I'm concerned, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, he is not in that echelon yet of going up against Brady. People are calling him the baby goat. If you want to call him that, that's fine. But the overall goat, as far as I see, is still Tom Brady because Tom Brady has basically set the bar so high that I don't know if anybody's going to be able to eclipse it. But if there is one guy that is in the running for it and has a legitimate shot down the line to be competitive with what Brady did, it is Patrick Mahomes. He's won two Super Bowls in three tries. The MVPs that he's done in the regular season has been phenomenal. The overall impact that he brings to not only the Chiefs, but to the NFL and the style and the way he's playing the quarterback position. He's on an amazing stretch right now. And we will see whether or not that he can continue the success going into next year and years beyond. But overall, Patrick Mahomes is that dude. He It is undeniable at this point. And as far as I see it, he has solidified himself as the best quarterback of his generation at this point in time. I mean, Kyle's pretty much given everything anybody can say about somebody. To be honest with you, I don't really know what I'm I'm supposed to do there. But what, um, I guess what I'm getting at is just to kind of touch on the point that Kyle had alluded to in terms of where he sits all the time. Um, when you talk about quarterbacks that have won a multitude of Super Bowls, uh, you talk about you know Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, obviously Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton and Eli Manning, um, Jim Plunkett. Ben Roethlisberger, there's, there's, there's just so many. And now Patrick Mahomes joins that elite company. And just to circle on a few names, Eli, Peyton, Ben, they all won their Super Bowls relatively younger. And that, except for Peyton winning in his final year, um, Pat has won two at this age and doesn't look to be declining. Patrick has won two, been to three, 
five consecutive AFC championships. You haven't seen something like this since Tom Brady was doing it with the New England dynasty. Now, I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady because, in, in my personal opinion, his opportunity to, to really gain that narrative was to beat him in the Super Bowl. I think that would have blown all narratives out of the window. That would have blown this whole thing out of proportion. He would have kept Brady from seven. He would have had two, arguably maybe even gone to a third. You never know. Again, I hate playing the what-if game because it goes both ways. But the path he's currently on, where he's trending, if Kansas City finds a way to keep this core together, because I will be the first to say I had Kansas City as third or fourth in the division this year, depending on how Vegas played, and they came out here and they shut everybody up. Tyreek Hill, don't matter. What are, you, what are you supposed to do here? You had a bunch of no-name running backs. Pacheco, McKinnon was a journeyman running back for a while. Clyde, Edwards, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was basically designated for assignment. Like, he barely played at all, even when he was healthy. It just, it didn't matter who you had. Juju Smith-Schuster, Nicole Harmon, Travis, it, it doesn't, he's that, he's that dude. On a bum ankle, does what he does. Didn't make a difference. Distraction with his brother and his wife <laughs> doesn't matter. Nobody gives a shit. Like it's it's Patrick Mahomes. He is going to go down. If he were to retire right now, he's a Hall of Famer. That's point blank. Period. There's I don't think there's anybody that's going to make an argument against that. Does he have the overall statistics that everybody has at the end of their career? No, but that's why this is called the hypothetical. Based off what he has done in the sample of his career in the sample years that he has played, he's already a Hall of Famer. It's it's honestly scary to think that he's only in his 20s. It's scary to think that Travis Kelsey is still in the prime of his career. It's scary to think that Andy Reid seems to have zero issue with continuing to be the head coach of the Eagles. Like He's not hinting at retirement. He's not talking about um, stepping down. Eric Bieniemy has had a multitude of different opportunities to become a head coach or an off- offensive coordinator somewhere else. He knows why break up the band. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. This team has the potential to 100% become a dynasty, and it is 1,000% led by Patrick Mahomes. He is the best talent that has ever thrown a football. Athletically, arm strength, accuracy, mobility, he is the full package. He may not be a Michael Vick mobility. He may not have the IQ of a Peyton Manning. He may not have the full resume of a Tom Brady. But his career's not over. We're talking about what he has done in the time he's played. He has a whole lot of development to still go. He's got a whole long career, knock on wood, barring any major injuries. And if this, again, if this core stays together, there's no reason why they can't win another two, three, maybe even four. Patrick Mahomes is just that guy, man. Him being the the greatest of this generation is like barely touching the surface. He is better than already a multitude of Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is going to go down as arguably one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. And I'm going to die on that hill for sure. Greatest athlete? Uh, I said one of the greatest athletes of all time, just based well, off what he's able to do. Well, I mean, here's what, I'll say. Here, here's what I'll say. You know, like you said, when it comes to his, his overall athleticism, is he like Michael Vick? Randall Cunningham, does he have does he possess that capability? He possesses the ability to be able to escape from the pocket, make plays with his feet, but and you know, flick to, it and go 60. 
see to me what makes him different is the fact that you know when he's outside of the pocket typically quarterbacks struggle with accuracy once they're outside of the pocket with Patrick that seems to almost be the opposite Patrick is really good when he moves out of the pocket and Kev I mean sometimes he is barely within bounds and throwing it and throwing darts you know, there's only a few quarterbacks that can do that consistently. Aaron Rodgers is somebody that comes to mind. Oh, where we've, we've known that for years, yeah. When, when he bounces out of the pocket, man, you never know what you're going to get with him. I mean, the guy could literally thread a needle 30 yards downfield with a pass, and he has literally like a foot of room to work with before running out of bounds. So to me, you know, Aaron Rodgers was somebody that really showed that capability of just being able to extend plays with his feet and just making these incredible throws. Pat has taken it to another level, though. And, you know, when it comes to just his overall stature within, I guess, NFL quarterbacks that we've seen come and go, yeah, he's definitely within that top 10 discussion as far as I see it. Oh, yeah. Some people will say top five. I think that anybody in the younger generation will say top five ever. Let's pump the brakes. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. I, I mean, you know, just I'm not even going to do like just a top five quarterback list of all time. But if I had to consider some guys that are better than him, well, first of all, Brady, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning. He's not, he's not, he's not better than, he's not better than Peyton. Not yet. Not yet. Right. But I'm saying like, he's on the way, he's on the way to, I mean, you know, John Elway, Steve Young. Like, I mean, there are a multitude of Steve Young's out there. I'm I'm just throwing names out there. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you want to consider Steve 10, a top 10 quarterback, maybe, Maybe that might even be a little bit of a reach, but no, as far as I see it, when it comes to Pat, Pat has solidified himself as a top 10 quarterback of all time. I think 100%. people that are trying to say that he's top five, I think they're reaching. And I think Again, it is pri- like you it's said, prisoner of the moment. People. It's prisoner of the moment. But if he would have won three out of three, that is a whole different conversation. If he, if he won three out of three, top five quarterback all time, he, I would definitely be putting that discussion out there or putting that notion out there. But the fact that, you know, that Super Bowl 55 performance that he had, I didn't think it was, he didn't have a, what I would consider a bad performance. It was the fact that his offensive line just couldn't protect him. And Kev, he was running his entire life in that game that against was, the Bucs. That, that, that was, was scary. I, yeah. I, and the fact that he was still able to make some of these ridiculous throws especially the one where he was literally parallel with the ground, submarines a throw 35 yards downfield, and then I believe it hit a Kansas City Chief receiver was it in Kelsey? the face mask. It wasn't Kelsey. It was somebody else. It might have been like McCole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson. Literally hits him in the face mask and drops it on the one-yard line. I mean, I don't know any quarterback that could do that other than Mahomes. But for me... You know, when it comes to Mahomes, he is the leader on that team, just from a player personnel perspective, to why the Chiefs are on that path to becoming the next NFL dynasty. And, you know, to do it in the free agency era, that's going to be tricky. Because the only teams that we've really been able, that we've seen been able to do that effectively were the Patriots. And then, what, maybe the Cowboys? Back in the 90s? I don't know if free agency was as prevalent as it was back then compared to now because free agency now is... 
you know, that's where the whole parody situation comes in. I mean, they went and got Dion back then. So, I mean, you can make the argument that free agency was kind of coming into its own back then. But again, that's neither here nor there. The, the, the Patriots have really been the only team, what I would consider since 2000, since free agency is, is what it is now. I mean, free agency, what it is now compared to what it was 30 years ago, it, it's not the same. It's just not even close. It just, just structurally, that whole free agency thing has completely changed how the NFL is modeled. But I will say the Chiefs have a very good chance of becoming the second team since 2000 of becoming an NFL dynasty. Obviously, they would go right next to where the Patriots would be. But they still have to win one more in my estimation. They still have to claim that Agreed. third one because they they have two right now. They, they've been to three. If they get one more within a relatively decent period of time, no doubt in my mind, you know, we're talking about an NFL dynasty. But overall, uh, just once again, just to kind of round out the Chiefs here, just congratulations on becoming Super Bowl 57 champs. It's well-deserved. And we'll see what happens with them next year because more than likely they have a very good chance to be in contention to go back to another Super Bowl, which would be Super Bowl 58, which I believe takes place in Vegas, if I'm not mistaken, next yeah. year. So... You know, if you think games were rigged this year, (laughs) wait till you get to Vegas. That Super Bowl is going to be crazy. I hope the uh, hope the refs are paid well in that game because if they're not, they might be on somebody else's payroll. Shit, you ain't lying. They might have been on payroll for this game, (laughs) depending on how this game played out. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, For the next part. We actually got to focus on the team that unfortunately fell a little bit short in this game, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles, a valiant effort. They put up 35 points, which, Kev, if I remember correctly, I think this is the highest point total that a team has scored and lost a Super Bowl. I think the last team that did it was the New England Patriots. They scored 33 in a losing effort to the Eagles Against back the Eagles. In, Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 52. Wow. I believe that was the off, the largest offensive output by a losing team in Super Bowl history at the time. I didn't know that. And I believe with the Eagles losing this game and scoring 35 points, they now overtake that Patriot team back in, what, 2018 that fell a little bit short against the Eagles in Super Bowl 52. So that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for the Eagles knowing that you put 35 points on the board and you still lose. And that's going to be a tough one, which is where we're going to actually transition our next segment. And that is going to be the Eagles defense. Eagles defense gave up 38 points in Super Bowl 57 to the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes was a one-man wrecking crew from the passing perspective. And also, the Eagles could not stop the run game. If I remember correctly, the Chiefs ran for almost 150 or over 150 yards in this game. 158. Also, the Eagles did not register a sack against Patrick Mahomes, who we've already mentioned at this point, was limited with an ankle injury coming into the game, and even more so when he re-aggravated his ankle injury in the second quarter. So this is going to be a tough one for Philly to look back on, especially the defense knowing that they gave up 38 points in the manner that they did. So Kev, to kick this one to you, how would you assess the Eagles' defense performance in Super Bowl 57, giving up 38 points in that game? This was just an absolute embarrassment. Every single commentator, including Kyle and myself, gave the utmost praise, 
hype, confidence that this defensive front was going to wreak havoc on Patrick Mahomes. He tweaked his ankle on the last drive right before halftime. Yes, they were able to at least pressure him. They were able to make it a little bit difficult. But for the most part, this Eagles defense was completely non-existent. I will give credit once again to Kansas City's offensive line. This has nothing to do with belittling or giving no credit to the opposing side. Again, the battle of the trenches was won by the offensive line on both sides. So again, I will preview that with the Eagles defense as a whole outside of the pass rush played poorly. The secondary, what's going on here? Anytime there was a man in motion for Kansas City, suddenly Philly doesn't know how to cover? You're telling me that, 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 that you don't know how to play man coverage when you're one of the best man coverage teams in the league? And then when you drop into a zone, no one has any idea where any receivers are. They have no, they have no instinct as to where the open holes are. Darius Slate getting embarrassed by Kadarius Tony. Then you have the same exact play flipped on the other side. And then you have Sky more open right on the same flat that there was on the previous touchdown. Well, I, I really, like, I don't understand how, you know, John Gannon just got beat by 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 this offensive again. Eric Bieniemy is one of the better co- offensive coordinators in the game, but he ran the same play twice on opposite sides. Any motion that came through, the Eagles had no concept of what was going on. They looked like high school football players. They had no idea how to stop it. The Chiefs looked unbeatable when it came to a man in motion play. The Chiefs' offensive line was creating gaping holes for the run game. They averaged six yards per carry. Patrick Mahomes himself had 44 yards. He had seven yards per carry with one fucking ankle. One. I don't understand how Philadelphia, and I'm sorry, my voice is sore as I was screaming that entire game, but how in God's name is Patrick Mahomes second in the longest rushing attempt of the entire game. He was only beat by Jalen with 28. Pat Mahomes' rush was 26 yards. Pacheco had a 24-yard run. You're telling me a quarterback on one foot is able to get damn near 30 yards? Where's the containment? Where's the pressure? Where's the turnovers? Where's the coverage? Where's the intensity? I am at a loss. Truthfully and honestly, as somebody who 100% expected this defense to at least create a turnover, to at least get a couple of sacks, to at least get consistent pressure on the quarterback, and they didn't do any of them. Garner Johnson, Darius Slade, James Bradbury, where in where the where were you guys today, bro? Seriously, and Darius Slade, especially on the Kadarius Tony touchdown, like. Completely lost. Completely. The fact that the inside man did not shade over even though Kadarius Tony came back out because that was the purpose of the route. Why did Slay come so far inside to where there was no opportunity for recovery? And Bradbury on the same on the opposite side or Maddox, whichever corner it was. We knew Travis Kelsey was going to get his targets. We knew Travis Kelsey was going to get those catches. It's the best tight end in football. There's no covering him. There just isn't. I picked Juju Smith-Schuster to be the X-Factor. He stepped up in the second half, and he had seven targets. Excuse me, nine targets, seven catches, which led the entire Chiefs wide receiver corps. So technically, the X-Factor for me was 100% correct for Kansas City. But for the rushing attack, 158 yards on the ground? We know that that's one of the weakest attributes of Philly's defense, but for the most part, you were able to solidify that over the course of the last few weeks? And then you go and you let Isaiah Pacheco 
Who the hell is that? You don't even let Christian McCaffrey kill you that bad. Isaiah, really? Pat Mahomes? On one foot? I have to stress, on one foot? I don't, I, I did, all this money, all this trade, all these trades, all this draft capital, and you couldn't stop a nosebleed. I understand that the defense on the Kansas City side was just as bad, but at least they forced a turnover. At least they scored. At least they got sacks. They did something. They put numbers on the board. Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox, and all the rest of those. Did y'all decide to take the Super Bowl off? Where was Again, where was the Philadelphia Eagles defense? I have no concept. I don't know what happened. And with what we're going to talk about in our next segment, obviously we'll get into more details, but this was their opportunity. This defense failed them because it damn sure wasn't Jalen Hurts' fault. Yes, he had a turnover. It was his first damn Super Bowl. One turnover is allowed. Was it a touchdown? Yes. But when you go out there and you score four fucking touchdowns in your first Super Bowl and 300 plus yards of total offense, over 350, I'm not blaming Jalen Hurts. Hurts can't handle the pressure. You don't know what you're talking about in football. Keep your mouth shut. That was the defense. Period. And I have nothing else to say because that was just flat out embarrassing. Yeah, you brought the heat on that one. I knew you had a chamber ready, locked and, ro- lo- locked and load on that one. But no, I, when it comes to the defense, the defense failed. There's no other way to put it. You know, even though the Patrick Mahomes was limited, the Eagles got to show some sort of force on that side of the ball to be able to at least put Pat into a situation where he's either got to take a sack or he's got to throw the ball away more consistently. And Kev, how many sacks did the Eagles have as a unit against the Chiefs in Super Bowl 57? Oh, zero sacks. And you said how many during the regular season? 70. One of the best pass rushes in NFL history. Top five of all time, if you just base it off of the stat alone. And, Kevin, I'm going to be honest with you. They didn't even do that great of a job to pressure him. Because even if they did, Pat being on one bad ankle was still able to bounce out and make plays. They had a complete lapse in just their execution pretty much throughout the entire course of the game. And Kev, you know, when I look back to this defensive performance from the Eagles, you know, I thought in the first half they they were at least playing okay. I think they gave up 14 points in the second half. They were up 10 going into halftime. So, you know, all things considered, it's not a bad position to be in. But then when you give up 24 points in the second half, you're not going to win a lot of football games in that manner. And that's despite the fact that the Eagles put up 35 points on the board. You know, and this is one thing that's probably going to drive Philly fans nuts, but I have to bring it up, and I know it's probably going to bring a lot of, you know, pain when I bring it. The Eagles scored 35 points, which is the highest point total by a Super Bowl losing team. The last team to do it was the Patriots in Super Bowl 52, where they scored 33. They lost that game by the score of 41 to 33 against the Philadelphia Eagles. So now the Eagles, unfortunately for them, they get to experience the other side of the coin in this case where you score a high number of points and yet you unfortunately fall short in the biggest game of the year. And 
look, like you said, Kev, I thought Jalen and the offense, they did enough for them to win this game. But the defense, they got completely shredded in the second half. And there were legitimate concerns about whether or not the Pat was going to be able to effectively play in the second half after he re-aggravated his ankle injury at the late stages of the second quarter. And Cal, I'm going to be honest with you, I thought he looked better. Because the Eagles had no answer for the Chiefs in the second half. And especially on those goal line opportunities where they didn't get cooked on the same play once, but got cooked twice just on the different side of the formation. You can't have that. And, you know, when I look at the strategy that the Eagles corners were playing, they were biting down on any man of motion to just go simply across the field and not whip it back into the flat. And to me, that's actually a coaching issue. After they gave up the first one, they should have just been a little bit more conservative and not be so jumpy or aggressive to go on that in route or to just overall bite on the in route when they're thinking that the route's going to go across the middle. Because if you're wrong, all the receiver's got to do is whip it back out into the corner or whip it back out into the flat. He's going to walk in touchdown. It actually reminded me very similar of what the Patriots ran against the Seahawks in Super Bowl 49 in the same stadium when Julian Edelman caught the game-winning touchdown for the Patriots in Super Bowl 49 against that Legion of Boom defense. It was a very similar type of play where you, you got two wide receivers stacked up. One guy's going to block the one corner in front of him. It's almost kind of like a pick, not like a pick route, but it's you're more just guarding the corner that you're matched up one-on-one with. And then the corner, if you're bring, the other corner who's going in motion, you know, is going hard on that in route or thinking that he's going to go on an in route across the middle. But whip it back out to the flat, it's a walk-in touchdown. The fact that they allowed that twice is unforgivable as far as I see it. And look, you know, everybody will look back to that James Bradbury call about whether or not that he actually held on that play. In my estimation, I thought that the Eagles defense had earned the opportunity to go to fourth down and then live with the results on whether or not Harrison Bucker hits the field goal or not. But the refs called a holding call on the play. And it pretty much threw out any sort of chance for the Eagles to win that game against the Chiefs. But overall, just they couldn't stop Pat in critical moments of the game. They gave up way too many yards on the ground. Just overall, they just did not make any solid second half adjustments whatsoever. And I mean, that Chiefs offense literally split them apart. I mean, it was an impressive performance from the Chiefs offense, especially Pat in the run game. And, you know, when it comes to the Eagles defense as a whole, they're going to look themselves in the mirror looking at this game. Like, we had opportunities to, to make some plays. Couldn't do it. Couldn't even sack Pat on one bad foot. And whenever they did, he was able to bounce out effectively and make plays with his feet, which is crazy knowing that Pat was limited probably 75% of his usual self. So, overall, the Eagles defense is largely culpable for them losing this game. But... That happens. You go up against Pat. Pat's been known to to make defenses look bad. And he made the Eagles defense look bad. But the Eagles left some opportunities out there on the field. And that's probably going to suck most for them. Because more than likely they're thinking there was probably a chance that we could have won this game had we made some plays defensively. Just didn't happen.
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't. Ugh, as somebody who loves defense, it just it, some of these plays just like genuinely baffled me. Like that, the one to Sky more baffled me the most because again, that was the second one. Yeah, the Eagles had hardly blitzed the entire game, and they sent the house. Yeah, on well, third down, was the first one to Katarius Tony. Yeah, gotcha. I just want to make I'm I'm just. That. I'm trying to understand when you see personnel on the field, right? A person like Kadarius Tony, a person like Sky Moore. There's going to be some form of trickery here. Again, the NFL is a is a is a very difficult league to succeed in, and for you to just blatantly not notice the person, did you really think that Sky Moore was going to block? Did you think that Kadarius Tony was going to run an out route into the corner? He's not going to run a fade route. You see what I'm getting at? You know what I'm saying? Like they're on the field for a reason. You have to expect there's going to be a decoy somewhere. And for you to fall for the same thing two times, and the second time, you not only make the same mistake, you make a worse mistake. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? We couldn't stop Kadarius, so we're just going to send the house. Well, he, like, here's... Jonathan he, Gannon needs to understand, you don't send it up the gap. If anything, you blitz the outside and make Pat have to step up. You don't blitz him up the center of the fucking line. It doesn't well, work that way. Well, here's the thing. Especially when a guy goes in motion, you have two corners on that side of the field because they're locked up 1v1 against the receivers right. on that side of the field. When you bring a guy in motion, and if the play is snapped, if the football is snapped, the guy... On the inside part of the defense, the inner corner, which would be the slot corner, hey man, that guy who's running in the motion, pick him up, and then you and then the outside corner will take responsibility on the other wide receiver who hasn't moved. So then that way, at least the inner the inside corner, the slot corner, can be able to run with him a little bit more effectively across the middle if the receiver actually decides to run something along the middle of the field. So at least that way you can kind of cover it. And then that outside corner that originally had responsibility on the wide receiver in motion, then moves his responsibility to that one stationary wide receiver. They didn't do that because when you saw the play work out, it was basically, I won't say two corners against one wide receiver because you had the one corner that would just completely bite down on yeah, what looked like a route that was just going to go straight across the middle. But the problem is, is that that corner that's locked up on the wide receiver who's not in motion has responsibility to that receiver then. And that's the flaw of strategy in that case. When they gave up the first one, there should have been the adjustment of, hey, if they bring a guy in motion on the goal line, on that side of the field, you have to move your responsibility to the inside, the inside corner or the slot corner and then if that case, they run over the middle, the slot corner takes responsibility and takes coverage of that. And the outside corner, you know, takes responsibility of the guy who's stationary. But they didn't do that. And the fact that they allowed it twice in essentially the same circumstance, same situation. And what made you me just laugh, can't, the can't first one was a zone because Darius was the outside corner that stepped over it, and was but, looking to shade. However, the second one was man because you set three people for the blitz. Yeah, there was it, nobody that picked up Sky more. Not one soul. The, but the problem because is both linebackers came into the gaps. The, the problem is, is that then who's going to cover the flat? Somebody has to cover the flat. And I'm talking about the first one. 
even if Darius thinks that it's if it's zone coverage and he's got a guy in motion. Well, if you're going to run supposed to cover the flat there or the end zone, there's no reason why Darius Lay should move. Period. Yeah, with the if, shift that has to be the linebacker or the slot corner, like you said, to shift it, to at least make the appearance that it's man coverage. The it, moment you know there's nobody following the man in motion, you know it's a zone. But Darius came from the outside and came in, and nobody and was he, guarding. And Tony. he came in about ten yards. If he came anything, in hard man. He no, he bit down on. Like yeah. he was I, at that point. You have to communicate with the linebackers. I mean, granted, I mean, it's bang, bang. You don't have a lot of time to make that call. But it's like, hey, you guys got to make sure that somebody gets coverage on him in case he goes across the middle. But the fact that Darius bit so hard on the motion, it leaves the flat wide open. And maybe that was just an ill-advised strategy from their DC by not properly adjusting to that potential play call. But the fact that you just leave the flat completely wide open. I mean, Kev, was there anybody within five yards of Kadarius Tony when he caught that yeah. touchdown? He yeah. literally strolled his way into the end zone. And the same thing with Sky Moore. The fact that it happened on back-to-back drives was crazy. And the Shout thing is, the he recognized it, it. And the thing is, man, the Eagles could have gotten a huge stop on the second one because that was the drive that was preceded by. It was succeeded. I think succeeded is actually the right word. By the Kadarius Tony punt return. Yep. So Kadarius Tony runs to basically like the six yard line on that punt return. And you know, you, you get a third down opportunity. Bro, if I, if I were the Philly, I would just drop back seven into coverage. That's have four pass rushers. what I was screaming. When I saw drop the seven. linebackers sit, I said, Oh no, they're coming. Drop seven into coverage. What you rushing for? I mean, granted, the pass rush hadn't been able to really do anything all day, but doesn't matter. I'll t- I, I will take I, Pat Mahomes escaping and scoring a touchdown, knowing no. that every soul was covered, than sending two linebackers when you haven't blitzed most of the game. Yeah, if anything, it, play call. And if anything, you know, if you're really worried about Pat potentially breaking it out, you know, throw a spy in there. Just in case. But I mean, Pat was at 75% at that point. If he runs in on a touchdown, we can live with that. I 100%. But, I will live with that. It's like a bad shot in basketball. If I'm guarding the paint, I know you can't shoot and you make a three, kudos to you. You hit a great shot. But I'm just saying in general, you didn't make adjustments and you looked and, foolish. And, and it Eric the enemy looks like a genius. I know. I know. He, I don't know what's going to happen with him long term. If he's going to potentially look for head coaching jobs down the line. But from what I've heard, I think he's – is he looking at any other offensive coordinator I saw I saw a couple reports this week that he was looking at OC positions for other teams, but they were why, lesser teams. I don't why know why he, you would have a lateral movement. Yeah, yeah. if he was – For a worse th- team. If he had an upward trajectory, potentially going for a head coaching job, I would understand that. But, like, only why time, would you – Only way you leave KC is for a head coaching job. You don't go yeah, laterally. I, he's got a good thing going with – Pat and Andy Reid. Why would he chase that? I don't know. I, I really don't know. For, for for another OC job, I wouldn't do that. And he's no, probably especially the, with especially with one of the teams that are rumored is Washington. It, no, what? 
That's gonna be a that that's a Sam project Howell for somebody. And Patrick Mahomes, bro, no, that's that, that, not even close. That's that's a project for somebody else to handle, not Eric. Eric's better than that. I think yeah. Eric should just stay pat. He's got a good situation going there. He can maximize his value there for the next couple of years. I know that he's gotten head coaching job looks in the past, and more than likely those will manifest once again. It's almost kind of similar to what Josh McDaniels was faced with when he went bad the second time, uh, being the OC for the Patriots. I know that he has that infamous, I'm going to take the Colts job and then I'm going to duck out, you know, before he actually signs. Did he actually sign pen to paper or was no. it just a verbal, was it just a verbal, verbal agreement? Verbal. So, you know, Eric didn't even have the verbal agreement set in place, but, you know, I think, you know, within, I'm going to say probably within the next two years, he's going to get significant head coaching opportunities <clears throat> down the line. So we'll see. And I think that he's yeah. earned them too, but. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Especially with the way that he's managed that offense, obviously, you know, Andy and him have pretty good. Uh, they have a pretty good coaching relationship. As far as I see it, they've been effective in winning two Super Bowls already. But uh, I think at some point, more than likely he's going to get a head coaching job somewhere. Somebody's going to offer him a lot of money and more than likely it would probably just to get him out of KC so that the chiefs don't rain freaking supremacy over the NFL for the next couple of years because the Chiefs might take a hit if BNV were to leave. Even if they kept Andy there as their head coach, there might be a little bit of a drop-off. Just things may not be as consistent with somebody new compared to Eric in that case. But that's another discussion for another day. The last topic that we need to get to is the Eagles and what their offseason is is going to be faced with. Obviously, when you lose a Super Bowl, it's very tough. There's going to be a lot of player turnover this offseason. And from the looks of it, there's going to be some pretty big changes in the coaching personnel as well. More than likely, their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator are probably going to be on the way out. I know their OC is potentially looking at the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job, which I know is just making Kevin over the moon about. You know, I mean, it might be better than Jeff Saturday, but who knows at this point, but no, with that said, the Eagles are, are faced with a pretty difficult situation. They're already $3 million against the cap going into this off season. They've got a pretty significant list of free agents to go by here. Kev, I, if you want me to, I can cover the free agents that are upcoming this off season. Yeah, if you want hit, me to hit me, hit me with the list, hit, just so people understand it's not like one or two people. I know yeah. that for those of you that listened this is like the 49ers list, but like to me, it might be it might be worse. Yeah, so some notable free agents this offseason that the Eagles may try to potentially sign or potentially have to let go are as followed. Fletcher Cox, one of the core pieces of that Eagles defense free agent this offseason. You got Robert Quinn, Brandon Graham, you got Javon Hargrave, Jason Kelsey, James Bradbury, Kazir White. Nadamakin Sue, Linval Joseph, Boston Scott, Zach Pascal, Miles Sanders, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, and Marcus Epps. Those are the notable free agent names just going into this offseason. It is going to be a pretty rough offseason for the Eagles if they're not able to retain some core pieces of this team for the foreseeable future. So, Kev, to kick this one to you. 
what sort of rebuild do you think the Eagles are going to go through this offseason with the amount of impending free agents that they have on their roster in the, over the next couple of months? This, like I said, this this was their win right now. This was their, we have to win the Super Bowl because the odds of bringing 75% of those names back is highly unlikely. And I will start that with the conversations that have been looming in Philadelphia between their front office and starting quarterback Jalen Hurts have all been trending upward up to this point of the number floats around reports are some are saying 45, some are saying $50 million a year. After a performance like this in the Super Bowl, I think that that number solidified, in my personal opinion, of upwards of 50 a year. I don't think that that's necessary. But again, from what I'm understanding, what I've seen, and then after this game, I think Jalen Hurts is going to get probably the biggest contract for an NFL quarterback. Um, I know it's probably not going to touch Patrick Mahomes in terms of half a billion dollars with everything that's included, but in terms of average yearly salary... I think Philly's going to bear no expense to making sure that he's the quarterback for the rest of his life. Uh, He's going to be the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles for the rest of his life. With that said, we just talked about this with Lamar. Is that going to take away from the potential of bringing other people back? Absolutely. Fletcher Cox, I don't know if he's coming back. Brandon Graham in his higher age, I don't know if he's coming back. There are already rumors that James Bradbury, was that he wanted to go back to New York. After that holding penalty, he might just want to worry his way back to New York. There's just so many people on that list. Jason Kelsey may retire. How can you bring them all back? Kaiser White, arguably their best linebacker next to TJ Edwards. Zach Pascal, one of their best special teams players, former Colt, by the way. Um, I mean, the, 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 the Cha- Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Led the league in interceptions this year, and he missed like six games. That's somebody you traded for. You got to bring him back, right? I don't know. He's going to get top safety money somewhere. I just, I don't think this is going to be possible. I think this is going to be probably one of the hardest off seasons for Howie Roseman and company because you did so much to bring them all together. You were already $3 million over. You were willing to pay the tax or the luxury or whatever the hell the situation is in the NFL, because I know that in the NBA are totally different. And then obviously in the MLB, you have to avoid arbitration. So it's like Philly's got a big, big, big offseason in front of them. They have a lot of decisions to make. Now, whether or not that's you guys bringing people in in the draft to replace those older players, I know that Jordan Davis was drafted specifically to be the replacement eventually to Fletcher Cox, but does that mean you let him go? I know that Derek Barnett was given an extension last year, but does that mean you let Hargrave go? I know you gave Josh Sweat an extension last year. Does that mean you let BG go? You gave Slay his big contract. You let Bradbury go? It's it's complicated because you have to understand those people are going to fall off of the books, right? They're all free agents. That means you're going to have a lot of money to 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 to, to mess around with once that once the the year ends, once free agency opens. But Jalen is going to take priority. He's going to take precedence, and unless he hits you with a very mature Tom Brady esque. I will take less to bring them all back. I don't see that happening. Jalen wasn't a first-round pick. Jalen was a second- or third-round pick. He's going to go get that bag. If he has an opportunity to make Patrick Mahomes money, Aaron Rodgers money, Russell Wilson money at that age, are you crazy? I'm not passing up $250, $300 million. Who knows how much guaranteed after the year I just had? If I don't get hurt, I'm an MVP. I I went to the Super Bowl in my 
second full year of starting, third full year of starting, whatever it is. I brought. I, I had all the. I had four touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Do you think I'm going to pass up a bag? I don't know. I really don't know. And with the departure of multiple potential uh, coordinators, obviously the Colts is are are probably taking the OC. Uh, John Gannon is is rumored to be interviewing in the second or third interview for the Arizona Cardinals. So I mean, in all likelihood, he may take that job because apparently nobody wants that job because Kyler Murray is too much of a headache. But I don't I don't know what Philly's going to do, man. This is going to be tough. Howie looked like an absolute just wizard when it came to making the moves that he did to acquire specific pieces throughout the season. It looked like he was playing chess while other people were playing checkers. Now you got to put your money where your mouth is, bro, because you got to pay a lot of people. Don't think you're going to be able to do it. Yeah, and it was like you said, Kev, this was really their year to go for that Super Bowl and live with the results of what you're going to potentially deal with in free agency. Kev, I mean, I already went over the list, but you know, when you're talking about guys who could potentially be on the way out, like Fletcher Cox, Robert Quinn, Brandon Graham, that's just on the defensive side of the ball. Then you got Miles Sanders. You've got Boston Scott. Also on the defensive side, you got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I mean, these are key pieces that made the Eagles so good this year. And, you know, looking at their cap situation, Kev, with them being down $3 million in the hole already with Jalen's upcoming contract extension, which is going to be significant. There's no doubt about that. Guy made a Super Bowl. His second year starting. He has earned a pretty sizable paycheck as far as I've seen it. But you know what's going to come to that territory, Kev? There's going to be a lot of roster turnover going into this offseason. And to be quite honest with you, they're going to take a hit. Now, how big of a hit, we shall see. But a hit is coming nonetheless. And, you know, that's the thing. Let's say, for example, that the Eagles won this Super Bowl. What comes with the territory of a Super Bowl win is typically there's a lot of player turnover. And, you know, guys are looking to maximize their value. And more than likely, it will be outside of the team that they were a part of that led to that Super Bowl win in that case. But that didn't happen. So now you're looking at a situation where these guys are coming off of a really tough loss in the Super Bowl. And, you know, they're looking for probably greener pastures outside of Philly, knowing what's going to be on the wall pretty soon. Because let's say, for example, Jalen gets paid 40 to $45 million a year in his upcoming contract extension. They don't have a lot of cap room to work with anyway right now. So they're going to have to really focus on restructuring contracts to free up more cap space or just letting go of some guys outright. And they're going to be, unfortunately, cap casualties based on Jalen's upcoming contract extension. Now, will they be able to free up enough cap space to the point where they can bring in some of these free agents this offseason back into the fold? There's no guarantee with that. You know, you look at some of these guys, you look at like Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham's one of the best defensive players that the Eagles have had the last couple years. Fletcher Cox, the same thing applies. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, James Bradbury. These guys are huge pieces defensively for their secondary. And when it comes to their status of what they could get in a contract negotiation with other teams, you know, some of these guys are probably looking to get somewhere around $15 million a year. And 
looking at the situation that the Eagles are, are in with their financials right now, there's no way that the Eagles are going to be able to swing that. And I think going into next year, you know, the Eagles are still going to be competitive in the NFC East. I don't want to make it seem like the Eagles are just going to fall off completely and they're going to be a sub-500 team and they're going to utterly suck. But to say that they're going to be as good as they were this year or potentially better, it's just not reality. They are definitely going to take a hit. I still think that they will be a competitive team because I still believe that they have some core guys to build around for the next couple of years. Obviously, Jalen's going to be that key franchise piece at the quarterback position. They've got A.J. Brown locked up for the next couple of years. They've got Devontae Smith. But offensively, that's pretty much it. And defensively, they're going to look pretty thin. So, you know, the Eagles are going to be faced with a pretty challenging offseason over the next couple of months. And there's going to be some roster turnover here. And, you know, maybe this is a situation where they may look to the draft to try to rebuild some portions of this team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because that's where a lot of my focus is being paid to just with the number of free agents that could potentially leave from that defense. Uh, It's a pretty high chance that some of those guys are going to be hitting the open market and leaving Philly. So I think Philly is going to try to make some moves in the draft to try to, I guess, cover the gaps or cover the voids that those guys are going to leave if they leave Philly this offseason. Yeah, things are not looking pretty in Philly right now. And, you know, I think this is going to be something that we're going to have to pay attention to pretty significantly, uh, you know, as we get closer to the the draft and as free agency really starts ramping up within the next couple of months. So the Eagles got a lot of work. They have a lot of work to do over the next couple of months, and it's not going to be particularly fun as far as I see it. It's normally the hardest part about the end of the season. You know, if you win the Super Bowl, I mean, a lot of people end up leaving for the sake of the payday or they make the decision of, you know what, I'm going to take a pay cut. We have a chance at winning more. It really depends on, I would probably say, generation because we've seen younger players really chase the bag because they said, you know what, I got my hardware. I don't really give a shit. And then you've seen older players are like, you know what, I'll take a significant pay cut so that I can get another chip. Makes sense, though. It really depends on the mentality that these players have. Do you want to compete again to win and, and be at the highest performance level that anybody can in American sports with the Super Bowl appearance? Or do you want to be another athlete that's like, you know what, I'm 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 gonna go and chase the money the rest of my career? Again, it depends on personal yeah. preference. So. Yeah, I mean for me, the way that I see it, the younger players, I think it is their prerogative to go out and get maximum value while they can get it. Right. I'm not saying going, you know, but that's the thing, though. See, I always have to clarify because I'm not sitting here saying take 20 million less than what you know what your worth is. But you don't necessarily need to go out there and break the bank for like five, six, seven. Like if it's like a hair of a difference as opposed to like being on a dog shit team as opposed to Super Bowl contenders. Like if the difference isn't that much, you shouldn't take that extra money. In my opinion, like it, you sh- it, you're still going to get a pretty penny, but you're going to be competing. You're going to play at that highest level. If you go yeah. from the Eagles to the to the Texans, because the Texans are going to give you 15, 20 million more a year, but you're not going to be anywhere relevant over the course of the next five, six years. Is it worth it to suffer in mediocrity? I mean, look what we're doing to other athletes in different locations. Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard. It's the same thing. Yeah, they're, they're they're chasing the bag 
but they're irrelevant. Like it, it doesn't really matter. Again, I'm never going to get off of that hill. To me, the pinnacle of sports, hoisting up a trophy and saying, I am a champion. I have competed at every level of human possibility in this sport, and I have conquered that mountaintop. If you want to chase it back after you've won, by all means, it is what it is. But for people like Philadelphia, like they have such a good core, I would want to, I would want to run it back. That's Again, that's my opinion. I get it. I do. And I think, you I think know, old fashioned. I, I think, well, no, and I get it. It's just, I think when it comes to Philly's situation, though, it's not a positive one. And it's because of the cap situation. I think if Philly was presented with a better cap situation, oh, yeah, maybe they'd be open to a return and still be able to compete at a Super Bowl contending level. But I think when it comes to a lot of these guys, they're going to see. Well, Philly's kind of cap strapped. They're not going to be ha- they're not going to have a lot of wiggle room to be able to retain a lot of these guys and meet their demands in a contract negotiation. And as far as I see it, especially when it comes to these younger players that are really looking for a big payday, they're going to maximize their value because look, in the NFL, if you even make it to this point and you're at the upper echelon of competition, you have to maximize your value. And usually that's about a three to five year window. This usually comes from the age of 25 to 30. It's usually within that window. And then if you're still playing at a pretty solid level, once you kind of hit 30, you know, then I think your I think your priorities change a little bit because then at that at that point, you know you're probably on the back half of your career. And then you've already gotten paid a significant portion from your big contract, the one that you've been basically hunting for your entire life. And then maybe it kind of focuses back on, you know, bringing a Super Bowl championship, getting some hardware to cap off the career. But to me, when it comes to these athletes, I'm just trying to look at this practically. They will maximize their value at the highest degree possible in their mid-20s because that's the only shot that they're going to get. Now, with quarterbacks, it's different. Quarterbacks can probably get that twice if they play long enough. A lot of these other guys may only get it once. Like when it comes to wide receivers, corners, linebackers, more than likely they're only going to be able to get that bag one time. And usually that one bag may set them up for the next 15 to 20 years. So that part I do understand. It's just... I think they round back to the point that you're talking about at the end yeah. where they've made that money. And now it's like back to getting hardware, getting, getting rings. And I think that that part takes precedent or takes priority over, Oh, I'm going to maximize my value, even though that I may be diminishing in overall play compared to I was compared to where I was, you know, five, six years ago. So that's why guys, I think really like the last couple of years of their career, they really try to go all out to win Super Bowls because they've already cashed in on, you know, maximizing their value. And then at the end, you know, I think it actually just kind of rounds back to the point that you're making. It is for competing for a Super Bowl ring and really having your name etched in NFL lore at that point. Yeah. But no, you know, just to kind of round out the Eagles part, 
you hate to be in this position. They have a lot of questions this offseason. And unfortunately, it's coming off the heels of a really close and a really tough Super Bowl 57 loss. And, um, you know, the defense really kind of took it in the teeth in this game. The offense, I thought, played really well. Outside of the one turnover, I thought they did enough to win. And it's crazy that they're going to be the one team, at least until somebody breaks it, 35 points. That's the highest point total score in a loss in Super Bowl history. They beat the Patriots by two points. 35 points in a loss, bro. That's tough to pill to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow. But I thought the effort was there offensively. They definitely showed it. They definitely showed that they could they could run it with Pat and they just fell a little bit short. And it was because of the defense. But it is what it is. Yes, sir. But that is uh that's gonna wrap up the episode today, ladies and gentlemen. Um it's a little late on our side. Still got some things to kind of iron out over here. Great Super Bowl, great game. Again, big kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and that cast, and just a great game. Um, you know, kudos to the Philadelphia Eagles for having a great season as a whole. Yes, unfortunately, they lost, but to get with where they got after the season they had last year, it, it wasn't expected by a lot. So, again, I know we don't do moral victories here because we're not babies. We understand a loss is a loss, but... You guys had a great year. You have to hold your heads up high. No one expected it, and that is something to be commended. So, overall, great NFL season. <laughs> Unfortunately, it comes to a close. But Kyle and I will be ready for the off season by next month. So, yeah, we're, we're gonna be we're, freaking. We're ready. We're gonna be going balls at a wall for free agency because that's gonna start ramping up pretty soon. Oh, so, yeah. and then the drafts in April. So, we're still gonna have some NFL content rolling out. Uh, there may be a little bit of a break. Uh, post the Super Bowl, but don't be surprised within the next month or so, we start gearing up for some free agency talk. And if Kevin and I ever get the chance to talk about football, especially when it's off season, we will always take that. We will take that opportunity and just run with it. So, uh, you know, once again, uh, congrats to the Kansas city chiefs for capping off the year with a great Super Bowl victory. Being Super Bowl 57 champs is a great accomplishment. And we shall see where they go from here. But outside of that, like Kev said, that'll wrap it up from here. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in and supporting the podcast as you have, whether it was listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube. We definitely appreciate the support. And you know, now that the NFL comes to an end for the foreseeable future, Kevin and I will be redirecting our focus on the NBA. We're ramping up towards the All-Star break, which is, I believe, this week. So uh, we'll have some content in regards to that. Uh, We may talk a little bit about some hockey uh, just because we have to cover the gaps. And then we have baseball coming up pretty soon with pitchers and catchers just around the corner. So definitely stay tuned out for what we have in store for you guys. But outside of that, Kev, I'll let you close us on out here, brother. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be seeing you guys later throughout the week. We appreciate the support. Have an incredible Monday, and we'll see you guys again soon. Take it easy, you guys. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. 
Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid.